0: Welcome to The Balance. My name is Catelyn Tucker, and today I am chatting with Eric Dahlberg, who is the CEO of eSpark Learning, which is an education technology company focused on creating confident learners through playful personalization. And the reason Eric and I connected was really around advancing AI technology and the impact it could have on our lives as educators, but also our lives outside of the classroom. So I thought, since this company is doing so much to try to kind of of harness generative AI technology, it would be fun to sit down and chat with him. He is also the dad of two children. So he's kind of seeing all of this from a parent perspective as well. So really excited to have him on the podcast. All right. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me, Eric. I wanted to just start. I usually ask folks like what led them to their career in education. So what kind of led you to want to work in a company that focuses on education?
1: Yeah, Um, well, I appreciate that question because it's a deeply meaningful one to me. Um, you're right. i've spent uh, I've spent time in a bunch of other industries. I started my career in investment management. I worked in media and advertising for a long time. Mm-hmm. had a short stint in uh, the legal industry uh, before getting the opportunity to to work in education. And for me, you know, I, I got to a point where um, I think a lot of the you know sort of basics in life and a lot of the the reasons that we uh, you know have our career, Um, sort of taking care of a few things and it felt like I had a little more, you know, opportunity to do something that was more meaningful and more closely aligned to my values. Um, This coincided with my kids reaching school age. Mm -hmm. And so when I got the opportunity to join an education technology company back in 2000, I don't know, 16, whenever that was, um, I was really excited to be able to do something that felt a little more, you know, closely aligned to, you know, my personal values. And this podcast probably isn't the place to get into, uh, you know, too deeply into like political or or, or social, um, you know, opinions and values. But suffice to say, uh, the opportunity to work on on education in particular, on technologies that hopefully democratize education in a way mm-hmm. that increases. Uh, you know, sort of equity and access um, was really meaningful to me and um, felt really privileged to be in a point where, you know, I could do something like that.
0: Yeah. Having kids just throws the whole education conversation into like a next realm, at least for me personally, being a parent and Knowing my kids are spending their entire days in this other place and wanting that experience to be as exciting and enriching as possible, I could see that being a huge motivator because it absolutely was for my work as well. Um, So, you're the CEO of eSpark Learning, and your goal as a company is, and this is a quote, creating confident learners through playful personalization. And I was so intrigued by this playful personalization. Can you tell us more about what that means to you, to the company, how you think it can improve learner confidence?
1: Yeah. So playful personalization is a relatively new phrase and indeed a new strategy for us as a company. And I think of playful personalization as encompassing three different aspects, three different flavors of personalization that really need to work together to create more engaged and confident learners. Hmm. So that first flavor of personalization, I'll probably go quickest on it because it's been around for a while. It's what eSpark's been doing for 10 years. And frankly, it's what a bunch of other uh, sort of companies and providers do. Um, That first level, first flavor of personalization is we're personalizing the sequencing of the lessons in a lesson plan to an individual learner. So this Mm -hmm. notion that you know you might have 25 kids in a class but they if you're lucky (laughs) exactly could be more uh they don't need and and, and in fact in some cases you know shouldn't necessarily be working all on exactly the same lesson Mm -hmm. um and that we can tailor that lesson to their particular learning level you know that that's a this has been around for for a decade i think these these you know we call that personalized learning or differentiated learning um, and we probably don't need to elaborate on this particular podcast and what that means, but that's the first layer. And I, I, I mention it just because we're doing it, a bunch of other folks are doing it and it's foundational, mm-hmm. um, but it's not new. So the new things are two new layers that you know are additive, hopefully to that personalized sequencing of the lessons. The first one is this notion that we can customize or personalize the content of the lesson itself. We want to match the material in the lesson to each student's interests to better engage them. Hmm. So you can imagine a student working on a reading comprehension lesson. Mm -hmm. Um, In eSpark, students can choose the the passages topic. Uh, They can make it more interesting and enjoyable for them. um, And they can customize that reading passage you know, in in an in infinite number of ways to better align to their background, their interests. Um, this is a key feature of a new product that we're launching in the fall called Choice Texts. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, that that notion that you can actually change the content within the lesson to cater to the kids' interests to get more engaging lessons. Mm-hmm. That's an important second layer. And then the third layer is. You know, we are personalizing the the instruction, the remediation within each lesson. Um, you know, typically with an online program, about the best we can do when a student gets an answer wrong is to say, try again. Right. You know, maybe we can say try again and we can prompt them with uh, you know, the instructional video that introduced the topic and let them take another pass through it and hopefully they get it the second time. Mm -hmm. Um, but we think we can do much better than that. You know, you know, as a teacher or a tutor, a parent or a coach, when you sit with a student individually, um, you know, usually you can tell from from the wrong answer, not just that it was wrong, but from the nature of the wrong answer, right where they went wrong. And you can sort of remediate that instruction in a much more precise way, and we think we're to the point now um, with technology where we can do much the same via these, you know, online uh, sort of digital lessons that we're delivering. So it's really those three different layers of personalization working together. We're going to personalize the sequencing of the lessons plan. We're going to personalize the content in the lesson itself, and then we're going to personalize the instruction. When you combine all those three together, you get, you know, a lot of, you know, very richly personalized, uh, you know, sort of curriculum um, experience, and hopefully you get a lot more student engagement out of that. That's important to us, because that's what we're all about at eSpark is, is student engagement. Um, you know, yes, we when we go talk to district administrators, it's about getting kids, uh, you know, at grade level for reading or math, and we want them to be competent in, in reading and math, but, you know, what we really want, uh, we want them to love reading. We want them to love math. And I think, you know, we need to do a little bit better in terms of engagement to get them over that hump. I want them to recognize the, the real world utility in reading and math. I want them to see how reading and math are tools that accrue to, you know, their interests, their hobbies, the things they want to be good at. So anyway, overall, our mission is to create those competent learners through this approach of playful personalization.
0: And so the reason you and I connected is because this conversation about AI has been like exploding in education. Obviously, it plays a role in the 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 products and things that your company provides. So I was curious, somebody who is obviously utilizing AI in the realm of education, just having a conversation, because right now, a lot of the, the conversations around AI and education are very fearful right about the implications and so i'm curious you know as we have schools kind of thinking about what ai means for them for the kind of future of teaching and learning um a lot of the conversations now are around you know and chat and chatbots and cheating and plagiarism and all those things um I tend to be more of an optimist. I like to look at the potential benefits of AI and this kind of rapidly evolving technology. So how do you see advancing AI kind of disrupting established classroom practices in kind of the short term?
1: Yeah, I love the way you phrased that question because um, you know right off the bat, you sort of acknowledge that that disruption can be negative. It can be positive. Mm-hmm. Um, It can be perceived as negative or positive. And sometimes that's different from the the sort of underlying trend there. Um, And you're right, it's been fascinating. I think we're, you know, roughly, I don't know, seven or eight or nine months into AI sort of bursting on the scene, just in terms Mm -hmm. of the the news cycle. It's been such a fascinating case study in, uh, you know, human psychology and just change management to see how people have reacted to it. Um, You're absolutely right. There's been, you know, plenty of, Fears associated with AI, and 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 I think that you know some of those fears are are reasonable if you look at it through the lens of hey, this is changing an established classroom practice mm-hmm. that I wasn't really eager to change, and now I <laughs> you know might be forced to change it. Like if that if that's your sort of lens through which you're looking at it, then I, it's fair to say that you know there's some some negative here. I think we're going to be I think all of us are going to be forced to adapt, mm-hmm. um, you know, to to the reality of AI. But to your point, I like you. I'm a little bit more of a an optimist here, Maybe glasses half full, and I just can't help but um, you know get excited about all the uh, opportunities uh, for for change or for disruption that are that are positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love for you know if teachers feel uh, you know back on their heels or or, or just sort of behind the the, the curve and, and in a very reactionary mode to AI. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to encourage them to uh, sort of try and reframe the discussion a little bit and think about what AI can do for them um, and how they can benefit from it as opposed to, uh, you know, just be disrupted by it because, you know, there's concern that their students are benefiting from it, um, you know, maybe at their expense. I think that there's lots of, uh, lots of potential sort of opportunities and lots of, um, lots of emerging case studies on that, that sort of positive front. Um, Yeah, to your point, I, I think focusing on the 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 good alongside the places we need to change that I perceive negative is super important.
0: Yeah, no. And I think your comment about change is is a really interesting one, right? I don't necessarily think of change in a negative light, but if you are an established teacher and you're used to running your classroom a particular way, and then you have something like these chatbots emerging that then make you wonder, gosh, if I send assignments home with students, can I be certain that my student is actually completing the work? Now, as, as a former English teacher, I will say like, It doesn't take me very long of knowing my students to hear their little voices in my head when they are writing something that I am then reading. And I think whether they are plagiarizing from whatever site they landed on after a Google search or whether it's now like a chat GPT, You know, I think there's a lot of teachers who are going to catch that this does not feel like the students' writing. But for me, one of the things that I would love for teachers to consider in this moment, because AI is not going to go anywhere, it's just going to continue to evolve, is where are we asking students to do work? And what kind of work are we asking them to do? And do they have support as they navigate these assignments? And so, Some of the answers to those questions might mean that we have to reimagine and rethink about how we use classroom time, how we feel about the assignments we've classically sent home for homework. So as a parent, how old are your kids?
1: Uh, My kids are 10 and 13.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So when you like, what do you hear from them about how they spend their days in classrooms? Are they like actively engaged or do they come home with a lot of homework? Like, what do you see as a parent?
1: Yeah, it's a mix. So my son just finished eighth grade, so he'll be starting uh, high school in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, Mine too. And my daughter, my, okay, my daughter just finished fifth grade, and so she'll be starting middle school in the fall.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so their elementary, you know, experience is very different from the middle middle school experience. Yeah. Um, my son, for instance, you know, had one teacher that was fully, you know, flipped model, and then he had others that were a little bit more traditional, and so even watching him go from period to period or subject to subject, um, there's a lot of, you know, sort of diversity in that experience right there. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter's elementary school experience was a little bit more, you know, typical with, with one teacher who's a generalist teaching all subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think either one of them have had a tremendous amount of homework over the years, Oh, wow. um but there's this you know there there's there's a couple of exceptions there my 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 middle schooler uh you know might have one teacher in each of his middle school years that was a little bit heavier on the homework mm-hmm. um but it hasn't the homework burden has not been uh, a huge one and, and easy for me to say as a parent but it hasn't been a huge one uh from my perspective.
0: Oh, that's pretty nice. That's not what I hear all the time. And definitely not my experience with that. You know, I think I was always a believer like, well, homework gets them ready for the responsibility of, you know, if they decide to go into college. And then I had my own kids and the massive amount of homework that like in fourth grade I was seeing at home. I thought, gosh, they spend all day in classrooms and they have to come home and sit down and do all this work. It just feels a little bit like overkill. Um, And so I think it's that homework piece that for a lot of teachers, they're trying to figure out how do I handle that in a world where kids can jump online and get answers to questions that I classically would have assigned for them to do outside of class. So I'm curious, like from your perspective, what do you think teachers should be thinking about when it comes to this future reality of kind of teaching alongside advancing AI technology?
1: Yeah. I think there's a bunch of different um, you know, sort of categories we can explore here. But the first is kind of echoing my thoughts earlier. I would just really encourage teachers to lean into the positives and some places where it might be able to help them. Mm -hmm. I think if you get a few of those wins under your belt, um, that helps you think a little bit more optimistically about the technology and the dynamics. Certainly anything you can do to increase your personal familiarity with it, puts you in a much better position to deal with the reactive stuff that you're going to have to deal with. So for instance, for teachers, um, I know if I was a teacher, uh, particularly uh, uh, a high school English teacher like you were, mm-hmm. um, I'd be very interested in using AI to assist with uh, grading. I'd be interested in using AI to take a first pass at um, feedback. I think I yes. would probably use AI to provide not just more quantity of feedback, but you know, in some cases more quality of feedback for stuff where I just don't have enough hours in the day to chug through all of that myself. Um, I feel like AI could be you know a big tool for me, for me there. Um, you recently tweeted out a link, Catlin, to a new AI-powered tool that allows teachers to generate assessment questions on any yes. piece of content. I'd oh be my super gosh. interested in stuff like that.
0: I know. I was um, like, how much time could that save teachers? Like, I want to use this article, I want to use this online resource. And it was like it would generate questions in all these other platforms that teachers already use, like the Kahoot environments and the quizzes. And I was like, I think the more exactly like what you're saying, the more teachers are like, ooh, this is something that can help me like lighten my cognitive load a little bit so I can focus my energy in other places, but generate some high quality like questions for my learners. And I don't know about you. I use, I use ChatGPT all the time. And I think there's also this opportunity. I want teachers to have those wins. I want them to lean on these tools that are emerging or these AI technologies that are emerging to kind of help them to be more efficient and effective and confident as teachers, but also like this is an opportunity for us to teach learners how to use these tools as well. I think sometimes when we get so fearful and we're like, ah, chat GPT, let's just ban it from school. Kids can't use it. It becomes almost this taboo thing that kids are using in the background. Whereas like if we were pulling it into the classroom and showing kids, this is how you use it to input a piece of writing or an answer to a question. But instead of having it write it for you, it's like, how how could I improve this piece? Is the organization strong? What areas could I develop? It's like, now we're empowering students to have access to 24-hour unlimited feedback from an AI tool. And I'll tell you, most of the feedback I get, if I throw a blog post in, I'm like, hey, is this cohesive? Should I develop anything? I get incredible feedback. It is so helpful. And it actually makes writing so much less daunting because you know you can go to this digital kind of thought partner almost to make sure that you're kind of hitting the points you want to hit and that your writing is coming across clear and, um, concise. And so I love the idea also of figuring out how do we help students learn how to use these tools to be more confident learners?
1: I could not agree more. And, you know, you're absolutely right. The, the knee-jerk reaction this past year was, um, gosh, this is something we need to ban. Uh, we saw New York city public schools ban it. Um, my closer to home for me, I'm in the Seattle area, the Seattle Public Schools sort of quote unquote ban chat GP, chat, chat GPT. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's the, I think that's, the, it, it, look, I, I don't want to cast judgment. That might've been the right approach in this past school year, you know, in the moment. But certainly as we think about this coming school year and the future, I think that's the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be doing exactly the opposite. I would be encouraging my students to use chat GPT, but in encouraging them to do it, I'd be raising my expectations. Yeah. So if all they're doing is taking, you know, the essay assignment that I gave them, again, I'm imagining myself as a high school English teacher. Here, uh, <laughs> all they're doing is taking my assignment and plugging it into ChatGPT and say, write this essay for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the, I don't think they're going to do, you know, very well. I would say, look, if you're going to use ChatGPT, and by the way, I encourage you to, you have to do a lot more than that. Here's mm-hmm. the ways that we can use it. This is the, these are the types of classroom activities that I would like to do. Um, we've seen internally at Eastpark. I've done this a little bit with my kids. Um, I have been enormously uh, impressed with how good uh, not just Chat GPT, that you can use Bing, you can some use some of the others, but these technologies are at helping you with the the ideation, the yep. the brainstorming,, yep. um, you know sort of highlighting you know different topics or angles or takes you want in your in your writing and doing mm-hmm. some of that upfront. Mm-hmm. And so I would be encouraging them to use it for that. I would absolutely then, once you've got an angle, once you've got a unique idea, a thesis, if you will, that you mm-hmm. want to advance in this piece of writing, I would absolutely then, you know, ask it for help, like developing an outline. Here, you know, what are the what are the what are some of the key points I should be making. What are some great sound bites that really bring that point to life? You know, use it to flesh out some of those details. Of course, if I'm in class, I'm teaching what, you know, a a well-ordered piece of writing looks like, and we're prompting the AI to, you know, help us put that together. And so, yep, you're using it then to, you know, create a first draft. You're using it then to, you know, edit at the end um it's a super valuable tool to go back and be a like a copy editor right uh, mm-hmm. for some of the more you know sort of you know your pro- the process as a writer is is that of rewriting uh, oh, everybody yeah. writes a perfect thing the first time through and so much of being a good writer is the ability to sort of rewrite 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 and ai is fantastic at helping you you know rewrite um so yeah that's that's definitely what i would be using it for i'd be encouraging you know my students to use it but not just a sort of blanket encouragement yeah you guys should use this it would i'd be incorporating it into you know the process and we'd be talking together about best practices for using it and the nice thing about that is in so doing i feel like i could really raise the bar on this is this is how good the end product you know ought to be because you now got this tool at your disposal um so i definitely think that's the right way to think about it And it's easy to think about this through the lens of the sort of high school english essay but um i think you know and i know that was sort of where everyone's heads went immediately yeah. you know back yeah. the Yeah the death where, of
0: the high school essay was like you know. the the tagline for sure but even my daughter who is just unbelievably academically strong she got a summer assignment for her AP physics class in the fall and she was like I don't know how to do, so. like, I don't, I've never learned the math, some of the math that's at the foundation of the assignment I'm being asked to do. And my partner sat down with her and was just like, let's at let's see if chat gpt can like explain it and even the explanation was enough for her to be like oh and get her footing so she could tackle this and and she had watched videos she had leaned on the resources that came home with her but it was like that moment of being explained a really complex mathematical concept that then she was like okay now i get it and for me i was just like oh thank goodness because i'm at like maybe a fourth grade math levels so- She's way, way beyond what anything I could actually help her with. So I think that the the use cases for it are limitless. But I think one of the things that could be really interesting in a classroom, because there's that fear of, like you said, are you just putting the prompt in and getting something spit out at you? Or are you really treating AI as a thought partner and as an editor and a fine tuner and I think the more teachers leaned into almost like pairing those moments of using AI strategically through a writing process or an assignment or whatever kids are working on pair it with a reflection like get kids thinking about all right when I put my first draft into chat gpt or whatever and I asked it these specific questions this is kind of what I learned about myself as a writer or as a student in this particular class. Like here are my areas of strength. Here are the areas where I'm a little wobbly. I need to spend some time developing. These were the things that were missing from my piece. These are the questions that I have because that's really how we start to develop expert learners. And I think the more we utilize these tools and then pair it with that kind of metacognitive skill building, that then we really help students to be more strategic and resourceful. We help to motivate them because they feel like they have support and in a lot of classrooms, especially those that are set up with the teacher kind of at the front of the room orchestrating whole group lessons, it's really hard for get them to get the specific support and feedback and inputs they need to accomplish some of these really complex tasks they're being asked to do in classrooms,
1: yeah, Ka, you talk a lot on your you know in your writing for your blog and in this podcast about um, you know, wanting to help teachers sort of reframe that classroom dynamic so that uh, there's more self-directed learning and so yeah. that the teachers are you know coaching and orchestrating learning but the teacher if the teacher is standing at the front of the classroom and is the you know sole fount of knowledge then <laughs> boy that's a heavy burden to wear and I would not you know I, that would be really really tough and I think that these AI tools are just fantastic sort of resources to encourage the students to, you know, follow, be a front line of defense, first line of defense, you know, follow a a sort of pursuit or a a particular inquiry, you know, Mm -hmm. a few steps in and in so doing kind of alleviate some of that burden on the teacher to have every right answer and to know every last little thing. And so I, I imagine myself as a teacher really wanting to sort of coach that and 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 train kids up on those tools so that they can use them effectively. Uh-huh. And when they do that, I think there's a couple other big potential benefits to, you know, this AI that I just haven't heard discussed as much. Mm, let's hear those. One is, you know, <laughs> I I told you earlier that one of Espar's goals is to customize the content in the curriculum around the students' interests and backgrounds in ways that are more personally relevant to them, meaningful to them in the name of student engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that approach applies really well, you know, in the classroom as well. Um, I'd be really interested in um, leveraging AI so that students can take a particular lesson activity assignment and customize that around their passions, their interests, Mm -hmm. their background, something that's personally meaningful to them in a way that makes that particular lesson you know, that much more, that much more interesting. Um, I really like that. You had a recent podcast with uh, Alice Keeler. She was talking about student engagement and she mm-hmm. kind of had this, this soundbite that stuck with me. And she said, look, if you're just standing up and teaching the Pythagorean theorem, then, you know, we've, we've, we've gotten off on the wrong foot all already, right? We need yeah. to be thinking about it. I don't think she said the rest of this, but this is what I imagined. We need to be thinking about you know, the use case and why that's a tool and where it's applicable, and we need to be finding ways to make that tool useful to the, you know, student based on their interest. And that's one of those things that I think AI can do really, really well. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think, you know, AI has big potential for, we, you know, we, we struggle in education, um, you know, creating curriculum like ESpark does, or creating mm-hmm. assessments mm-hmm. Uh, that are you know free of free of bias, that don't you know assume some level of background knowledge, um, that are you know truly sort of agnostic and neutral and and you know hit at the the sort of ideals of sort of equity and inclusion that we aspire for. But it's really really hard to do when you're creating one lesson or one know, test one, one question that is going to get applied to everybody. Yep. Um, I think AI has the potential to, you know, customize that content, customize the assessment questions in ways that, you know, neutralize some of those biases or more specifically speak to, you know, the background or interests of, of certain students. And in so doing, might do a better job either teaching that topic or assessing that topic because they're able to meet the student, you know, where they're at. Uh, based mm-hmm. on what they're coming from, and so that might seem a little more ethereal or a little bit of too abstract, or you know. No, but not at all. Those are some of the potential, you know, positives and benefits that I'd love for us all to start thinking about. Because once you start having those conversations about, you know, all the way from one end of the spectrum, hey, this is a tool that as a teacher could save me time, and I'd like to take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, all the way to here are some ways that this might. You know, make a really profound difference in the longer term. You start to get excited and start leaning in, and that's just a much more, uh, in my opinion, a much healthier way to sort of approach these changes and this new technology that absolutely has the potential to be disruptive. Um, Than if you're if you're feeling sort of like you're on your back foot and you're just trying to whack a mole, trying to figure out how to you know keep kids from using this in ways that are that are sort of inconvenient or don't work with the uh, the way the way we've been doing things. No, um, totally a little more proactive versus reactive.
0: Well, that's what I always wish for in education is more proactive, less reactive, but I love your comment about equity and accessibility and inclusion, because it's been a big part of my work in the last few years is kind of this intersection of like universal design for learning. I've had just the absolute honor of working with Dr. Novak on written several books together and blended learning, you know, and how these two things fit together in a really meaningful way. And I hear so much conversation about the importance of equity in education, that this is a value most educators have that they really want it to be an equitable learning experience but then when you really break down like what does that mean well if we're talking about equity what we're doing is acknowledging that individual learners need individual inputs to reach a particular output and right now so much of the burden of trying to give these individual learners what they need to make progress toward firm, standard-aligned goals falls on the teacher, and and you have a lot of teachers who, myself included, like I know not all people like to read the same text. Reading is actually a really personal experience. Some people love science fiction, and others love like nonfiction or self-help or these different categories of genres of reading and then we set all these this diverse group of learners with different reading levels and different interests and preferences in a room and just make them slog through the exact same text together like it or not interest based or not. And if we get to, if there's a future reality in which AI can help teachers to really honor the diversity in classrooms, start to make sure they're building in flexible pathways where each student is really getting what they need to continue making progress, I see that as a really exciting future in which AI would be playing that kind of pivotal role. Because if you want to give students Kind of a lens of interest now, you might be able to provide like, here are four short stories to choose from, which one most aligns with something you'd be interested in reading. But it's still a teacher hunting down those stories, asking students to make a choice, figuring out how to pair that with meaningful learning activities. So it's just, I would love to see AI have that kind of impact because I do think the more it can lighten that load on teachers and help teachers to feel more effective meeting individual students' needs, that's where we get over like the fear and we're like, okay, I see the value, I'm all in. Like this can help me be a more effective teacher and create a much more personalized learning experience for students.
1: Yeah, that's really well said. And this is this is not uh, an infomercial for 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 East but like you know, if you <laughs> indulge me for two seconds, like that that's our first stab at it. In the fall, we've got a bunch of new lessons coming out. We call it choice texts. Mm-hmm. But imagine your typical you know elementary school uh, reading comprehension lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to allow kids to determine what they want that reading passage to be about, and then the rest of the lesson is sort of structured on a reading passage that the the student has you know been able to custom custom create craft around their background and interests. And back I to your point, that. I mean, I would I would I would say that I love reading, but that doesn't mean I like reading everything. Cap. No, like, there's plenty no. of stuff that I don't want to read.
0: hundred percent. One of the reasons
1: I love reading is because, you know, I get to pick what I read and I pick stuff that, you know, I'm super interested in or makes me better at, you know, what I want to be better at or, you know, it's a it's of a genre that I can get lost in and really enjoy. Um, and I would love, uh, I'd love for kids to have a little more choice, um, you know, in their schooling experience, um, especially elementary school where they seem sometimes it seems like they have so little choice, um, to sort of customize that around their background and interests in ways that, that'll, that'll really be, be, be powerful for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would argue they have very little choice, even going into the upper grades. It's so fascinating. Like, I have so many kids who they get to high school and they they're like, I don't like to read. And I'm like, well, I guess if I only read what I was told to read with no no kind of thinking about what I enjoy or that that not impacting the equation of what I actually read, like, would I be a reader? Would I if all I had read was like nonfiction, which there's some great nonfiction, it's just not my favorite all the time. <laughs> I like to escape into books. I would probably be like, yeah, I don't think I really like reading either because this just isn't interesting to me. It doesn't hit um, my preference in terms of styles of writing and or if it was just on topics that like I had no connection to, which unfortunately is the uh, the case for a lot of our learners. They just don't see themselves in the books they're being asked to read or the assignments they are being asked to do. So um, that's it's really exciting to see tools and programs and things emerging that can kind of lean on this to allow students more agency to approach things from a lens of interest, because that's definitely going to motivate them to be more excited about the learning in general. Um. Okay. So let me see. Do you have a sense because of your kids, because of your connection to education, like, what classroom norms you think an explosion of AI and the future impact it could have on classrooms? Like what classrooms, no, what classroom norms do you think AI might impact, change, displace the things that we kind of classically think of as norms in a classroom or teacher roles, student roles, any of that?
1: Yeah. Well, the first one that, you know, I think is the most obvious and we've already touched on it. Um, I think that that this this latest round of generative AI, these large language models that have sort of burst onto the scene over the past few months, are going to force us to pretty fundamentally rethink how we teach the writing process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and look, certainly there's a you know nostalgic part of me that sheds a little tear and thinks I like the way I <laughs> learned the writing process, and <laughs> I wish I didn't have to change, but. There's also a part of me that has, you know, started adopting some of these technologies for my own writing and, you know, I never want to go back. Right. And so even, you know, talking to my kids, encouraging them to, hey, have you tried, you know, you tried chat for that? Or, you know, why don't you put that into Bing and, you know, mm. see, see what ideas you get. I think it changes things in a pretty profound way. And so I think that that's a, you know, a classroom, you know, norm that we will see evolve and, Probably evolve pretty rapidly um, mm-hmm. in the next in the next few years. So that's an obvious one. Um, but I suspect that there's a lot of others, uh, a lot of others as well. And most of the others come back to this category I was talking about earlier, where I think the potential for AI to really increase the degree to which students can be more self-directed in their learning
0: mm-hmm. and
1: pursue a particular know, topic or a train of thought um, because they've got that tool, that resource at their disposal, I think that's pretty profound. And I don't know how long it will take to really, um, you know, take hold, but it's easy for me to imagine um, learning experiences becoming a little bit more, you know, Montessori-like mm-hmm. in terms of um, the student having a lot more choice, a lot more discretion over, uh, you know, not necessarily what they learn, but what they use to learn it, Mm -hmm. Um, and being a lot more empowered to uh, sort of chase down some of those details without sort of relying on the teacher for every scrap of knowledge that that comes their way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that'll be a pretty profound, profound change in the years to come.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I hear a lot about kind of learned helplessness and a frustration around students not being resourceful, not being strategic, right? Like they hit something in a class that they don't understand or they don't know how to do. And it's just like, either they throw their hands up in the air or it's just like the teacher is the only person in the room that can, they see as a resource to help them. And I do wonder as AI evolves, if some of these tools could really help students to develop that self-directed learning or some of those skills or feel confident being kind of more independent because they do have a reliable resource to lean on or resources to lean on if they get stuck or they have a question or they need feedback. It's just such a tricky balance when you have one teacher in a room with 30 odd kids who are in kind of different places and they have different needs and So, it's exciting to think of this being a support system for learners and helping them develop the confidence. Because, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you is like, what should, you know, educators do this summer to prepare for next school year in this environment where there's all of this buzz around, you know, advancing AI technology? And it sounds like we're pretty much agreed, like, go out, play with it. Like, when you start thinking about school starting up again in the fall, which for me was always like the end of July, (laughs) that's when I I was like ready to start thinking about school again. But like when you do, playing around with this, having it generate questions for you, throwing lessons into it and asking, like even if you throw a lesson into a chat bot and say, how might I make this more engaging? How might I build in student agency? I think to your point earlier, the more familiar teachers are with the, the AI technology and can experience some of those benefits, maybe it starts to shift their thinking around, how at the very least they utilize it. Because if if a teacher is listening to this and you hate designing a rubric, man, you need to go put what you consider the criteria and describe what mastery looks like and ask it to build you a rubric. It will blow your mind. It is such a time saver. And the more of those experiences I think teachers have that are positive, then it takes some of the fear pieces away. It gets them thinking about, wow, how could this save me time? And if I'm in a district that hasn't banned this, how might I utilize it for students? Are there any other like over the summer you would suggest teachers do X, Y, or Z to prepare for a school year where this is kind of just part of our reality?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So we're recording this podcast at the end of end of June. Actually, mm-hmm. in fact, the very very end of June, the last day. <laughs> um, and I know everyone's in a little different place, depending on where you are in the country and the school calendar and stuff. My, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, which means my kids just got out of school. This is their first week uh, out, of, out of out of school. So summer has just started, and so it's wow. easy for me to think. So if I was to go, you know, talk to my kids' teachers um, mm-hmm. or local teachers, um, they just finished the school year. Uh, they're like, Eric,
0: we don't want to talk to you right now. (laughs) Exactly.
1: I would not, if if I was going to go talk to them and make some suggestions about, you know, AI, it would not have anything to do with school. Mm -hmm. And so my advice uh, as we enter the month of July is don't, don't, I I don't want to give, I don't want to give teachers more homework over the summer, especially not early in the summer. And so, you know, as we enter July, don't worry about, how AI, how you're going to use AI in your classroom next year. Don't worry about how it's going to disrupt things. Like take a break from school, right? Just use AI for your personal life. Mm. Um, And so my advice there would be anything that you would typically, you know, Google, Mm -hmm. um, use Bing's AI or use chat GPT and ask it first. Use use Google as a backup, but ask, ask AI first. I think you'll be really surprised at what you get. I think the nature of your queries will change. I think you'll realize that you can ask much more comp- complex, nuanced, you know, multi-stage. You know, a, you have, we, we sat down recently with family who was trying to figure out where to stay for, you know, an upcoming trip to Spokane for my son's baseball tournament. And mm-hmm. there's a bunch of variables that go into that in terms of what we're looking for. And if I'm on Google, I kind of have to Google those one by one and sort of piece it all together. And it might take yeah. a half an hour. We went over to you know, Bing and just put it all into one question. And we talked to it like a normal human being. And it mm-hmm. sorted through all those variables and said, here's three places you should check out. Right. Mm-hmm. So the nature of how we use that will, I think, will change quite a bit. I love that. Um, I would really encourage teachers to download the chat GPT app on your phone um, and start talking to it. Start talking to it like it's your personal assistant. Um, I know we've had Siri and Alexa and, you know, whatever for a while. But I have
0: not been very impressed with uh, either.
1: <laughs> so uh, you haven't been impressed with Siri and Alexa or haven't been impressed with the chat? GP? No, Siri. I, I okay. mean,
0: Siri, I feel like is actually here to make my life more challenging.
1: <laughs> so you got to give the chat GPT okay. uh, app a try. I don't know what they're doing differently, but the voice recognition is just light years better than what we've kind of become habituated to with Siri and Alexa. Uh-huh. And your ability to interact with it like it's a person and just ask it a question in normal language, A, for it to understand you, and then for it to um, sort of understand the nature of your query. Because again, we all know when we search Google, we don't talk to it in normal human language. We we sort of characterize our search in a, in a query, right? Yeah, totally. You don't need to do that with ChatGPT. So anyway, I would encourage teachers to do that just to get familiar using it. Um, anything you need to write this summer, that's more than about a paragraph. Yeah. I personally would be using an LLM to help me do it. Um, anything you need to read this summer. I'm not talking about, you know, beach reading stuff you really want to read. I'm talking about stuff you need to read this summer that maybe you don't want to, Mm -hmm. um, have AI summarize it for you first. Um, so those are some things I would just start using it. I think that that familiarity will uh you know breed a lot of comfort and i think that if you start using it in those ways for your personal life remember this isn't homework don't worry about your classroom mm-hmm. if you start using it for your personal life in that way uh your brain will light up with ways that you want to use this with your students next fall Yep. um and so anyway that would be my advice start using I, it but don't don't worry too much classroom just use it for you <laughs> make it about you
0: No, you're absolutely right. Because I will share. So I have to get on the app clearly. um, But I will share that. I remember I was basically trying to come up with some summer reading. I'm going on a trip with my kids and I literally put in like, Hey, here are five of like my favorite books that I've ever read in my life. Can you send me some suggestions for books you think I would enjoy? And then it spit them out. And I was like, which of these have a highly ranked audible, like reading in case I wanted to listen to it. And then I was planning a trip to Spain with my two kids. We leave on Monday and I was like, we have four days in Barcelona. What would you suggest? How would you break up this time? If we want to see X, Y, or Z, like we want to be in certain areas. And that was fascinating. And then I've even had tough conversations with my teenagers where, you know, something will come up and I have even like gone to chat GPT and said, okay, this is a situation, here's kind of how I, I'm thinking of approaching it. Are there other points you would suggest I make for a teenager in this conversation? And some of those recommendations, I'm like, <gasps> that's brilliant. I hadn't even thought about like kind of talking about it from that angle with them. I'm going to include that in this conversation. So you're, you're absolutely right. The more you use it, the more your brain just starts to fire on other ways you could use it. And like, I was at a hair appointment and my stylist was like, yeah, I I took a loan from my grandpa and I was trying to figure out an amortization schedule. And so I put it into chat and just spit out this whole thing. And I was like, that's crazy. I never would have even thought to use it that way. So I think that's really, really good advice um, to just get, get familiar with it this summer, have fun playing with it for your personal kind of life and relaxation. All right. So I always end the podcast by asking the person I'm chatting with to kind of share what is it that you do in your life that you feel helps you to strive for? I don't say achieve balance anymore because I feel like we're all in the process of just striving for some semblance of kind of work life balance. But how do you try to create balance in your life? Are there any strategies or things that you have experimented with or use that you feel are really helpful that might help others?
1: Yeah. So, having listened to your podcast before, I think this is one question I could anticipate. And I spent mm-hmm. time thinking about it. And mm-hmm. Uh, to be perfectly frank, it was the one I was most nervous answering because <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like on the one hand, um, I'm really happy with my work-life balance I have mm-hmm. been throughout my career. Um, on the other hand, I'm not sure I can tell you why. <laughs> I feel like oh, interesting. I'm not sure I have any tips or tricks, and I'm afraid that even if I did, your audience, you know, might not find them particularly relevant for their situation. But uh, but the more I thought about this question, the more I kept coming back to. Two essential truths, at least at least for me, mm-hmm. I feel like if there was a, a Maslow's hierarchy of needs for work-life balance, I think there'd be two things that are down towards the bottom of that pyramid that are pretty foundational for everything else. Okay. Um, one of them, I'm just going to call partnership. Um, I will contend that if you don't have a strong partnership, and I think this is true on both the work side and the life side. Mm-hmm. Then work life balance is going to be hard to achieve. You yeah. know, for me, it's hard to talk about my work life balance without gushing about my wife and giving her an <laughs> awful lot of credit for you know any sense of balance that you know I benefit from. And this this isn't the classic you know woman behind the man or stay at home mom story. Um, she she is an amazing wife and mother, but she also has an impressive. Career in her own right. She's a pediatric oncologist, you know, Stanford, wow. Harvard, balances a clinical practice with research. She's she's amazing. But for both of us, you know, at various points in our careers, we've had moments where we really needed to lean in um, to the career side. And we counted on the other one to pick up some of the slack at home. And mm-hmm. both of us have also had the opposite. We've made some decisions at times to forgo a, a quote unquote career opportunity and, you know, prioritize better, better balance. And I think having each other as partners in that balancing act was really, really important. I just can't imagine, you know, trying to do that alone. So, yeah, partnerships. One, I'm not sure what that means in terms of a tip or a trick, but um, that's certainly been important for me. And then the other one is, uh, you know, the just really foundational component is just, you know, health. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sincerely believe that the human body and the human brain are capable of just astonishing things, like what we can what we can juggle, the number of different priorities that we can balance and deal with is, is incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, and the amount of stress we can take on when healthy is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, but with healthy is a pretty important caveat.
0: Yep. Um, and
1: for me, like there's just a couple of components to being healthy and I can't imagine feeling balanced in my life. If either of these was missing, you know, one is sleep. I mean, I hate to be, you know, we've all been told this and sometimes you know, we don't want to be told again, but, you know, getting enough sleep each night um, is important. Second for me is exercise. I, for me personally, I just can't imagine feeling good about balance in my life without feeling reasonably fit and being able to move my body. So um, I just, I think the brain and the body, they're not two separate things. The brain's part of the body and mm-hmm. I don't know how to be mentally healthy without being physically healthy. So um, anyway, as I thought about that question, uh, this sort of notion of balance and work-life balance in particular, it just felt like having really strong partnerships felt like a necessary condition, at least for me.
0: Yeah. And
1: then, you know, some level of uh, you know, health um, and vitality just felt really, really important. Um, and with those two in place, you can go sort of tweak the other little details, but everything else I thought of that fits in that category, I just felt like wouldn't, didn't work if it wasn't built on this foundation of uh, partnerships and health. So
0: no, I love that. Yeah, but both of me. those require that you you nurture those things, right? You nurture your partnerships, whether it's with a significant other, whether it's with a co-teacher or a partner with whom you work and nurturing your physical health and all of that takes that attention. And it's easy when we're really busy to neglect relationships, neglect our bodies. So I think that's a, a really wonderful way to think about kind of foundational stuff we need to be successful. So I just want to thank you so much, Eric, for coming on and kind of sharing your thinking about AI since it's definitely part of the work you're doing, um, but definitely a fun conversation to think about all the the what ifs. And I, I love that you didn't give them homework over the summer. You just give them something fun to work on. I was like, make a rubric. Eric's like, figure out what you want to read this summer, talk to your phone. (laughs) So thank you for helping to balance me out on this episode.
1: (laughs) I appreciate you having me on and enjoy your summer. And to all your listeners, I hope they enjoy their summer as well. All right, you too.
0: So this conversation is so interesting. And as I'm kind of leaving it, I really love this idea of encouraging teachers to just play around with an AI technology like ChatGPT this summer, just to get familiar with it, to use it to explore areas of personal interest or to solve particular problems we're facing or get advice about a tough conversation with a teenager like I've done. There's so many interesting ways to use it. And I think Eric's point of, being informed, playing around with the tech, getting a sense for its strengths and its limitations. Because quite frankly, in the after conversation, Eric and I were talking about that this isn't perfect, right? The output in a chatbot kind of interaction is only as good as the input. And there are definite limitations. But I think the more we know about an emerging technology, the more prepared we are to make decisions about how we might use it as educators or how we might help support students in using these tools to enhance their own power and potential. As always, I want to thank you guys for joining me for this conversation. If you have any questions, comments, anything for an Ask Catlin segment, please find me on Twitter at Catlin underscore Tucker or Instagram at Catlin Tucker or my website, CatlinTucker.com.